welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, again, appreciate everybody listening, uh, taking the time to download the podcast and, and participate. Um, you'll may, you may have noticed that the release of this podcast episode has come a week early. I'm trying to be a little aggressive and do an episode once a week now. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, the biggest issue I'm running into, of course, is just making sure I've got enough interviews. Uh, I don't want to spend podcast time just me talking into the abyss uh, about myself or what we've going on. We may have one of those here or there, but I really want to talk to you all. So help me out on that. If you know somebody that uh, I should interview, if you've got uh, or somebody or if you want to be interviewed yourself, uh, check out our website, redtoolhouse.com forward slash pastured pig podcast i'm sorry and um and just fill out the form there give us some information and uh, we'll get an interview booked so uh you really like to have more coming in well today we're talking with kate osgood with birch rice farm and i really love kate's story she uh she does a great job telling us uh, what she's got going on at her place but interesting enough she has a background in fashion merchandising and I think that's kind of an interesting uh, move from fashion mer- merchandising to uh, raising hogs on pasture. So uh, kind of a neat uh, gear change there, but we'll let her tell more about that. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive right into Kate's uh, interview. Well, I'm excited today to talk with Kate Osgood out of New Hampshire. And Kate's going to share some uh, details with us about their setup up there in the uh, the Great White North, and uh, let us know how things are going on her side of the farm there. Uh, Kate, welcome to our podcast. Hi, Troy. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, that's good. It's good. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with us. I understand you had to uh, kind of do some unique setup there to, to set aside some time to talk to us this evening. Yes, I have a three-year-old who likes to follow me around like a shadow, so I'm hiding in my car down the road. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. That's really dedication to the podcast. I like it. So, of course. So, yeah. so he's just not walking around uh, aimlessly in the house by himself looking for mom or anything, right? No, no, no. My parents are actually visiting for Easter, so he is with them. Wonderful. Okay, well, I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Well, let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about you. I've already mentioned you're from New Hampshire, but feel free to to expand on that and just, just kind of let us know uh, more details about Birch Rice Farm. Sure. So uh, we are, as you said, we're Birch Rice Farm. We started in 2016, uh, but a little background on me. I am not a pig farmer by trade or a farmer at all by trade. Um, I'm an MBA graduate who specializes in fashion merchandising and uh, I went to school for organizational behavior and marketing. But when I met my husband in Colorado, we moved back to his home state and growing up, he had pigs and loved it. Uh, so when we bought a farm, the one of the first animals after chickens, obviously, <laughs> we decided that we were going to uh, buy a boar and two sows and actually breed pigs and raise them for meat here on our farm. And uh, so we have, um, we just have about a little over 14 acres, 
but we use seven of which for paddocks and pasturing our pigs. Um, and those acres are right now it's because it was winter. We took down all the move, the portable fencing and it's one, four big pastures or paddocks for them. And then we rotate them around on there. Uh, we are a registered Berkshire breeder out of, out of New England. Uh, we're in Samberton, New Hampshire, which is, about two hours away from Boston. And we have uh, six sows and a boar always um, always here on the farm. Hmm. Wow, that's, that sounds like a pretty good setup there. Okay, so we're going to have to back up because I know everybody's probably okay. doing the same thing. Their, their eyebrows are kind of sure. raised. So, so fashion merchandising <laughs> yes. to yes. pig farming. So n- probably not much of a transition there, right? Just kind of no, smooth, smooth from I one end to the sense. other. Yeah, I can make them all tutus and no. Uh, I actually, um, so I did, I went to school for fashion merchandising and lived in New York City for, after I graduated, had my dream job and hated it. I hated every minute. I was not high fashion. I wanted to be outdoors. I wanted to be um, just away from the city. I was not a city person, unfortunately. Uh, I didn't realize this during college, but uh, so I um, went to school for then get my MBA for marketing and for organizational behavior. And I actually worked um, specializing in SEO marketing and social media marketing. Hmm. So um, that is my background. And then when we moved back to New Hampshire, we had a four year old. He's nine now. And then we had um, Henry, who is three, about two weeks after we moved into the farm. And I was laid off from my position while I was on maternity leave. And we had some chickens and then we got the pigs and we said, you know, we should, let's see what we can do here. And then I became the farmer. My husband actually is the account manager. So he's in finance as well for um, Concord Hospital here in New England or in New Hampshire. Okay. So, so he works, uh, I assume that's, that's a traditional day job per se. And then, so you, so you're stay at home farmer and stay at home mom. So you've got multiple jobs there then. Yes. And I was homeschooling for a while, but I sent his butt back to school. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's all kinds of comments there. We homeschool too. So that's, that's always one of those. uh, Yeah. Was he, was he begging for it or was he, uh, was that, uh, that was uh, to give you some sanity? A little bit of both. He actually uh, thanked me for sending him back to school and told me that he was uh, just very social and needed to be in that aspect. So yeah. he's very smart and he does really well in school. And he actually got his own flock of chickens this morning um, from Hoover Hatchery. So he's very excited yeah, I see to that. show them in our 4-H fair. Yeah. In fact, I'm looking at that on your Facebook page right now. He's yeah. uh, pumped there, getting them from the post office. That's always good. Oh, yes. You always like yes. to see the haggard look on the face of the postal employee saying, please, get I... these chickens out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got the call about 6.30 this morning, and she's like, you can come up and pick them up now. <laughs> exactly. They are more than welcome to open the door early for you. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, so we actually, we have a lot of chickens. We raise, um, we raise pastured uh, chickens, so we use broilers, the broiler Cornish cross. And then we do turkeys as well, and then the pigs. So we actually do um, all three here on the farm, and we raise them all on pasture. And we do about, I believe last year we did about 900 birds in total. Hmm, excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So so talking about your pigs, what uh, what breed are you all? Uh, you said you're, the, you're, so you're registered Berkshire, so I assume you're, you're all Berkshire yeah. on everything then. 
Um, we actually have five registered Berkshire sows, and then we have one registered large black um, that she, uh, we wanted, we've heard that the cross is very good. We just got her in January, so we haven't seen any, she's due on May 12th, so we haven't seen any babies yet, um, but we've heard that the cross between the two is very good, so we wanted to uh, kind of see what it was and test it out ourselves. Um, yeah, we do... The reason we do Berkshire is because of the meat quality. We, prior to owning a farm, we had bought quite a few half pig shares or full pig shares from farms in the area, as well as when we lived in Colorado. And by far, the, our favorite was always the Berkshire. We loved the marbling on it. The um, when you get the the uh, butt steaks specifically from our butcher, we love. They just look like a, a beef. They look like a red meat. So we. Uh, that is why we chose that breed. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. There's there's definitely some good color and good uh, good texture in the Berkshire. Right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, um, so mm-hmm. we, we talked about. So you say right now you've got um, got your pigs on about seven uh, acres of your fourteen. Correct. Yeah, we do, and we have the pastures all laid out where we do a portable. Uh, we're doing a portable pig fencing, so we can actually rotate them in the four large paddocks. So how many pigs do you have normally in your four paddocks, individual paddocks? Um, currently, we have eight meat pigs on one of them, uh, and they'll be going to slaughter in the middle of May. Okay. So so you, with your um, what's your breeding schedule usually? And, and did you say you do have a boar or you do AI? Oh, I do. I have a boar. His name is Brewster. He's three, um, and he has done an amazing job. So we will never. We will probably not go to AI. We've just. We've always loved having a boar here, um, and he. Uh, so typically, our breeding schedule is we. Uh, we do two breedings a year is typically what we try for. So we just um, we'll have them farrow in either February or March, which is always hard in New England because it's you know. That's the coldest time. And then we have them farrow again uh, August or September um, and then go into the winter. And so we usually have spring piglets for sale and uh, winter piglets because we do have a market for bowl. And so at one point last year, I had 47 pigs on my farm, piglets included, before I was selling them. Yeah, that's that's a that's pretty good herd of, herd of pigs there. Yeah, that was a lot of pigs. But um yeah, so that we'd sell them for, uh, in the spring, we'll sell Berkshire for $150 per meat pig, piglet, um, and we wean at about seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And then for um, winter, it's about $100 per piglet, and again, weaned at seven weeks. And uh, we castrate them, and uh, the only thing I don't do is deworm, because I have noticed that the different customers I have prefer their own worming, deworming method. Yeah. Um, some people use injectables. Some people want to be all natural. Some people, it, it, it varies. Uh, so I've found that I get less complaints when I say you have to deworm them yourself. Exactly. Yeah, there, there's so much so, variation there. I'm sure they appreciate it is. castrating them first, however. So. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I noticed on your Facebook page uh, you all had, uh, had had a recent uh, castrating class, it looks like, and I and, uh, assume that yep. went well. Uh, yes, it did. Actually, uh, that was a class so I would learn how to do them. I have never done them myself. I'd always paid for the vet to come out to do them, and it was just getting very pricey. Um, 
So I decided that the next time a local farmer was doing it, I would come over and do it and help him. And so he taught me how to do it so I can do it for ourselves. We're actually having what I'm calling a castration party, August 20 or April 27th and having some other farmers come over and learn with me while I do it. Um, so we're going to have a cookout and do castrating <laughs> on piglets. <laughs> that's great. That, that's yeah. a party. That sounds nuts. It is. Yeah. Yep. Pardon the pun. Okay. Um, so interesting. So, so what's your take on, uh, so obviously that's, that's a pretty good, um, cost savings there to go from, from, uh, having a veterinarian come and castrate to castrate yourself. So, so what was yeah. your takeaway from that? Do you feel that that's something that's, uh, that's easy to do? You, you feel confident in doing that now? It, yes. And, um, I, witnessed and assisted with our vet numerous times uh, he's great he's out of Salisbury here his name uh, it's Blackwater veterinary office um, dr. Mason's amazing we've had him on the farm numerous times and he always did a great job we've never had however we've never had a piglet that uh, needed anything major we've never had one where um, the testicle never dropped or anything like that but I have heard the horror stories and kind of read them in different blogs, but I have never had to experience them. Uh, so I can see where there's a cost savings if you don't have any issues, but then if the, if it's never dropped, it's harder to find and you could have the issues where you get the intestine pulled out or something like that. Um, so I think for any issues like that, it's always good to call the vet in, but we have never had any issues. Yeah. Castration is, is definitely, definitely, a. um, well, here we go. It's one of those controversial subjects, as as a lot right. of things are in in our uh, in our line of work. But um, mm-hmm. and we'll save that for another big discussion yeah. about <laughs> castration and the the means of it. But no, that's great. Yeah. I, I think it's great to take that personal responsibility, have that training, uh, not just just wing it. Uh, I know in my first experience uh, many years ago, it, it was un- unfortunate I didn't have access to a veterinarian, so it really was kind of wing it and, and, and learned so much. Right. It's like, wow, you know, I'm lucky I didn't damage any piglets uh, worse than I did. Cause... Right. Yeah. And Dr. Mason has taught me different techniques and things like that, but I was never confident to do it alone. And also he, since he was there to do a job, he did the, he did it. I never, I just assisted. I never actually did the cutting. So when I went to this other farm that was local, um, I was the one who performed them all. And then the, the great, uh, just old timer, he's been farming since he was six. He said, he let me do everything. He just held them so that I could see what Dr. Mason had been doing, uh, just get firsthand a little bit more. And, um, there are, everybody has their opinion on castration. Uh, I think the big thing is the boar taint and things like that. But I've honestly, we've had some piglets that, you know, have just in being in being novice and they've escaped and I've grown them and we've eaten them ourselves and I've never tasted it. But I do know that some people are sensitive to it. Mm. So we always try to do the castration. Yeah. Yeah. Boar taint is yet another controversial mm-hmm. topic. That's for sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a whole another podcast. No doubt. Yeah, that that could be <laughs> that could be a spirited debate if we uh, yeah. if we got that fired up. <laughs> well, um, so let's back up for a second. You talked about at one time having forty seven pigs uh, piglets on on property. Yeah. So it sounds like with mm-hmm. the the number of sows that you have uh, breeding twice a year, um, you, you have a you can have some pretty good litters thrown there at at, uh, at two times a year. How are you? Yeah. Um, are you? Are majority of your piglets uh, that you have? Are you selling those as um, as as growers for people? Are you Are you raising yeah. so many out? What's your percentage balance there of what you raise out? 
Sure. So we typically keep nine to 10 for ourselves to raise out and then the remainder that we sell. Um, just because I don't want, um, I don't want my paddocks to be, uh, to just be getting all that nutrients into it and nothing coming it back out. Uh, so for example, we're actually going to take a little hiatus until, uh, and not breed until October, November, um, due to reseeding all the pastures. And we're going to, uh, change it up a little bit. So we do a little bit more silvo pasturing with a portable fence and, and put them a little bit more into the woods so that I can reseed all those pastures because 46 or 47 piglets on them last year was a little much. Um, and the rotation was just not great. So uh, being able to give the, the paddocks a little time to breathe and to get that regrowth and have more come out than is what going in, uh, I think that'll be a really good thing. But um, keeping 10, we have found for ourselves has been the best number for us. Well, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So um, I assume you all probably had a, a pretty wet year like most of us had this last year. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We actually had um, a horrible wet year. We've actually, we've, the joke is we've had, <clears throat> excuse me, three mud seasons this year uh, because in our November, we really didn't get a lot of snow right away. We got the mud and then it would freeze. Oh, oh, sorry sorry about there? that. Yeah, sorry That's about okay. that. My, my uh, monitor completely died on me, so I'll have to come oh, back no. and ed- edit that out. But yeah, the, the Mac just rolled over. But no, we're, we're still recording, oh, okay. but my secondary oh, okay, monitor good. rebooted. Uh, so I'm oh. sorry, go ahead. So uh, yeah, uh, oh, three, no, no. So, three mud um, seasons. Yeah, so we had three mud seasons going on. Oh, that's what, at least what the joke is. And in November, it felt that everything really melted and then froze again and melted and froze. So uh, even into December, we didn't have a lot of snow yet. Um, and what happened in our pasture, since we do have a lot of ledge and a lot of rock sometimes, and, and specifically in one of them, um, it became very icy. Uh, so it was um, a lot of the new growth was rooted out and it, it just, it wasn't great for the pastures. And unfortunately we did have one sow who slipped on one of the sharp, um, kind of muddy peaks that had frozen over and she broke her back. So it was, it was a really, really rough winter for us uh, in the pastures. Um, so we had to put her down, and that was just a, it was a really hard, hard farming December, I should say. Yeah, those are, those are the things mm-hmm. you, you just can't plan for, and it, it really no. becomes frustrating when you get kicked like that. Yeah. The worst part is she was pregnant, and she had the piglets early, and we had to then raise them in our bathtub. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yes. Yep. So that that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The the nuances of pig farming. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we try to, um, like, I actually just uh, ordered a whole bunch of seed from Great Basin Seed Company, which uh, I have found had to be the best for New England area. Um, I always we do a lot of research to find out what's going to grow best up here in our zone. Uh, we're five six. So um, we really want to see what, because our last frost, I think, is not even until the 21st of May. Hmm. Um, So it's very late that we can actually put seed in. So we need something that's fast growing that will be hardy enough throughout the winter to grow back next year. Um, So we also added alfalfa and a white clover to it, Hmm. as well as the grasses. Yeah, sounds like a good mix. But I can definitely see that challenge as far north as you Mm -hmm. go on. Yes. 
So, so while you're talking about that, let's let's kind of segue over to feed. What uh, mm-hmm. what is your feed ration? What's your regimen? What do you what are you looking for when you when you feed out? Um, well, ideally, we we try to do. Um, we just try to supplement with grain. This winter has been a little bit rougher, and so we've done um, a lot more grain than typical that we would like. So we do a bulk. We do have bulk feed come in. Um, but we try to do for the sows and the boar, we do about eight pounds, uh, for feeding. And then, um, for the meat pigs, it's a little bit more free for all with them just for this winter that we've had. Um, but we do try to limit that with them. Yeah. So, um, Mm -hmm. So looking at that, so is that uh, as far as your feed goes? You're buying in bulk. Mm-hmm. Are you are you buying conventional feed? Are you doing a custom mix? Are you doing non-GMO, organic? What are you running into there? Sure. So we we're very limited on what we can get um, up here. We were using Poolin feed, but uh, I found that I wasn't happy with the ratios of fiber that was in it. Um, and a really, I'd always supplemented. So now having to actually use it as a main source. Um, for the past few months, I've done a lot more research. Uh, we have access to Great Mountain Feed up in Vermont, um, which is a non-GMO organic feed. But the prices there are a little bit more than um, would be sustainable for what we sell it for and what I can sell it for here. Um, right now, I can sell Berkshire for $5 a pound hanging weight. And if I use the non-GMO organic, it would be about 8 or $9. Wow. So that's yeah, that's, that's a, a that's a little ridiculous in my book. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty um, big job. I mean, that's almost yeah, uh, yeah, worth, yeah almost it would be just yeah. a little too much. So uh, we use Blue Seal currently and have found great results with it, and I like the ratios a lot better than I was with the Poolin. So you're just ordering that into your local feed store, and they're they're just uh, just yep. bringing an order in for you then. Yeah, actually, uh, Blue Seal has a production plant in Bow, which is only about a half hour away from us. So they bring it out on truck. And then I use the tote bags. Um, I don't use a silo system because I'm not getting like three tons at a time. Uh, I really only need one ton for the the eight that I have. And I haven't, uh, because they are rooting now and they're getting a lot more grass now (laughs) into April than they were in February and January. Hmm. So what um, when you when you in the situation where you have um, a lot of your your growers that you're going to sell, how do you how are you marketing those? What's your what's your audience? How you're reaching them, and, and how far out are, are people coming to get your pigs? Sure. So I have a great uh, kind of market for Massachusetts uh, because I'm about 20 minutes away from Laconia, which is right on Lake Winnipesaukee, which is a huge vacation spot. A lot of people have second homes up here. Um, you may know the actor or the comedian Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. His daughter's name is Winnie after Lake Winnipesaukee. He has a house up here, so it's a lot of it's um, a huge vacation area. So we, mar- I market a lot on social media, also because that's my background. I know that, <laughs> um, but also I have um, connections at the local natural food stores. So there's a sunflower market which is in Laconia that sells our eggs, but they also feature our flyer for our chicken, turkey, and pork. And then the same place, there's another one in Meredith and um, and also another town over where it's the same thing. They sell our eggs, but then they have our flyer there. So we get calls that way. Um, 
through our Facebook page, I've had people from all the way from out in Texas. I can't ship meat, but I typically try to help them find someone who's local that they can get Berkshire meat for them just to be helpful. And so they, uh, it's all really word of mouth and social media for us. Um, I just built a website for us uh, as well as we do a monthly newsletter that goes out and people seem to forward that along too. Excellent. Excellent. So, so with, with that, make sure I'm understanding there. So you're selling individual sure. cuts. So you're going through a USDA uh, processor and then are you, are yes. you storing your meat on farm? Do you have the resources to store, store that? Yes, I do. I have, um, currently we've only done piecemeal a couple times. We do half and whole shares. So uh, you either get half a pig or whole pig, um, depending on what they, what they want. Um, but we do have a farm store and we have four freezers as well. All right, all right. So, um, so the, that takes care of the pigs that you're that you're raising out to to process. So, right mm-hmm. after castrations, the ones that you're selling um, that you're selling for people to raise themselves. Are how are you marketing yeah. that? Uh, same way, Facebook. But then also, there's a uh, weekly newsletter that the Farm Bureau puts out, um, New Hampshire Agriculture, that goes to all farmers, and we put an ad in there. Um, we've actually put them on Craigslist before too, <laughs> funny or not. Um, we've put them on Craigslist. We've put them into that weekly ad and then on our Facebook page. But then I also just having a presence as a farm and being a farm bureau member, I have local farmers calling me all the time and asking me for piglets. So I actually have a waiting list, um, going into each farrowing season for people who want pigs. Oh wow! Well, that's mm-hmm. that's that's definitely uh, gives you the confidence you need to to breed and not uh, not get uh, too stressed out there at that time. Right. Yeah. And I also have had uh, people come to me for show pigs since we do register. Uh, we can register the piglets. Um, I've had a couple of people buy them to be show pigs. One was a boar, and then another female, um, a gilt. So those will be in the fair circuit this summer, which is exciting. Uh, and then also because I've re- I register a minimum of two litters with the Berkshire Association each year, we are on their website, uh, but I haven't had anybody come in through there. Hmm. All right. Um, well, um, let's, let's talk about your farrowing operation. We talked about that a little bit sure. bef- before we started the recording. You were telling me a little bit about how you uh, how you all farrow. If you wouldn't mind, just mm-hmm. just explain that. Sure. So we farrow in the English style portable porta hut. Uh, That's the type of hut that um, all of the pigs use to sleep in, and we farrow in them as well. So once they are starting to bag up, uh, we separate the sow from the others, and um, she's given her own porta hut, her own kind of water and eating area, and we section her off into her own kind of area of the pasture or paddock, and she farrows in there. Now, during February, March, when it's colder we do have to put um, a lot more hay in or even I've had to put a heat lamp when it was about 30 below Um, and that was uh, luckily nobody nothing happened I mean nobody was hurt or anything I had to put it with um, a two by four and screwed in and it was it was definitely my husband MacGyvered that (laughs) but um, but we have had to do that because it was so cold Um, but I have had great results with pasturing outside. Um, I did have one sow who decided to just do it not in a porta hut um, on one of the rainiest evenings. So we had to tarp, uh, put a tarp over her from tree to fence post so that she'd have some cover. Um, 
but yeah, so we, that is, we fire 100% outside. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know what that's like to have them either go early or go outside and or pick the thing. They seem to know it's going to be the coldest, rainiest, worst day. And that's when they're going to go out and farrow when they're right. not supposed to. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, we do have a um, uh, we do have a lower pole barn where we've made some farrowing areas that we did have to use for one pig uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, but that was because she was getting very aggressive. Uh, so we wanted to separate her from everybody. So we do have the option to do it in, in a barn, but uh, most of the time I choose not to. Last year I had two sows who actually farrowed together and became kind of sister wives. And they um, they had 26 between the two of them and 24 survived. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's good. So yeah, that was that was going to be the next question is um, have you have you you have proven sows? How long are you keeping your sows breeding since you're doing two litters uh, out of each of them per year? Uh, how how long are you keeping a sow before you rotate her out? Well, we haven't had to do that yet. They're very young. They just are uh, two, so we haven't had any issues with farrowing. Um, this past farrowing season, the one that's just starting now, we have seen um, one of our sows, Violet. Um, she is looking a little bit more worse for wear and uh, her litter number was lower. So we're going to see what we can do <clears throat> this summer to keep, give her one farrowing off and kind of uh, fatten her up a little bit and see what she does. She was one of the sister wives uh, that I joked about in September and she, it seemed that all the piglets were feeding off of her. So she really didn't have a lot of the nutrients that I wanted her to have and the best hair look going into the winter um, so we're going to just try to get her healthy again. But um, the other Berkshire farmers that I speak with, they rotate them out at about four. So, um, and that seems to be a little old when I talk to some of the old timers, but uh, we'll kind of just, I'm going to see how it is with each, each sow is different. Uh, Peaches is who is her litter mate, um, just produced 13. So, I mean, she's been, and we had, she looks great. So they're, uh, each sow is different. I think you have to kind of just see how each sow is and how their health is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't know that there's a, a magic number. I know some people no. may argue with that. But, yeah, I, I think yeah. you just wait and see how it goes and see how, I mean, especially if they're, if they're proven sows, if they've uh, they've got good instincts, right. they they throw good litters, then, yeah, you, you, hate to, you hate to stop a good thing there just because they reach a magical number. Right. And ours are very young still. I mean, they're still only two so that we really don't have, um, I haven't had any issues yet. So being two, I think they could still breed for a while longer. Excellent. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the bane of all pig farmers existence, the, the, the rise and fall of everything. How was your processor and what, uh, how's, how experiences have you had with your processors? Do you have a lot of options there? Have you found a, a good solid processor to help you out? Yes, actually, we um, we actually drive them to Maine to Sanford uh, Butcher in Maine, and they have been phenomenal. Um, when we were looking for a processor, I actually toured seven different facilities, and because um, <laughs> I don't do anything, I don't go into anything lightly. So I toured seven different facilities. Um, I did have some people who were very gruff with me. Um, so uh, there were some people that I just, I didn't want to do business with. And then some areas that were very dirty. Um, I didn't like how, you know, the shoot to let the pigs off. 
they weren't open to my questions. There was a lot of different factors. Uh, one place, a few places didn't smoke on site, which I didn't like because there's a lot of room for, you know, contamination, a risk of um, just ruining the meat if you have to take it to another place to smoke and then bring it back. So I, um, there were a lot of different factors when I looked into them, and we did have seven in the area, which was great. Yeah, that's but, uh, <laughs> that's awesome yeah. having seven options. My goodness. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there nothing. I was looking as far away as two hours away, things like that. Um, but w- one of the ways that we take them to butcher, and I, and my husband, you know, he's going to love this. I'm going to call him a genius. He was great at thinking this. I don't know if he read it online or just thought of it but um we how our paddocks are set up there is a center finishing area and we will move them into that area about a week over two weeks before they're ready to be finished off and we will actually pull the trailer we use a, a horse trailer we back the trailer up and that is where they sleep each night so we load it up with hay and they sleep in the trailer each night. So then at two, three o'clock in the morning of the day of butcher, we just go out, close them in the trailer. It's nice. It's calm. They're used to it. So we don't have any issues. Um, they're not very stressed when we take them. Uh, and then the butcher that we take them to, um, he's great. He actually brings them in, keeps them in the area and doesn't butcher them until they're settled down in the next day. Um, so that they get a little bit comfortable and so they're not uh, very nervous. Yeah, that's a great setup. And that's that's a perfect mm-hmm. example of where infrastructure really helps you out there. Um, yes. I know uh, there's I, I'm, I'm one of those guys where I my transportation uh, options, uh, I have to, to borrow a trailer from a, from a friend. Mm-hmm. So I can't I don't have the luxury of being able to bring it in and, and do that. But man, that, that does mm-hmm. make it nice just to just to tiptoe down and close the door and you don't have to worry about uh, loading day being as stressful as it could be. Right. And I definitely recommend having that finishing area, kind of working them through the pasture to that finishing area so that it's it's just an easy transition each time you move them. Yeah, because you're right, because pigs can definitely become adapted to an area there, especially mm-hmm. if, if that's where they feed and sleep and and just think it's just any other day. And, and uh, right. that makes things much easier. And, of course, as you mentioned, not having a stressed out animal uh, at the processor being dropped off really helps helps everybody, helps the processor, yeah. um, even yeah, affects the quality of the of the meat. Yep, mm-hmm. I agree. And uh, we've I do love having them being able to smoke on site because um, for any bacon that gets uh, cured or anything that's smoked um, doing it on site there's I don't have to go and transport somewhere there's such a risk and such a liability to do that um, you could contaminate anything I mean it's I don't recommend that so I always I wanted to find somebody who did it on site yeah those are those are good parameters and and, and mm-hmm. you, know, you find that processors um, you'll find some that that really don't want to uh, play ball with you. You'll find some that, that it is a really good give and take relationship. And, and once you've established that relationship, then, uh, then you can really get down to some details there and, and be able to work out any, any small issues. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. There's some that grumble at you. There's some that don't want to, t- yeah, don't want to give you a tour. Don't want you looking behind anything. Uh, and it's, it's a little tough to earn, uh, earn trust with them when they, they don't want to be open with you. Right. Yep. I agree. Well, okay, Kate, um, is there anything um, that, that maybe you haven't touched upon? Do you want to let everybody know what's going on at your farm? Any other details? Uh, not really. I think I've touched on everything. I um, 
it's definitely it's been a transition and i think anybody can farm if i can be having no background in farming um i think anybody can farm i think the only the pets i had were dogs and a cat and a fish when i'm growing up so if anybody can uh think that oh i don't know if i can get into farming trust me you can just read and take advantage uh here we have something called the UNH Extension is University of New Hampshire Extension Program. Well, they're, they will do training for people. And so, I mean, I've done numerous trainings and kind of learned that way. And just always keep your mind open to learning and anybody can do anything. I agree. Yeah, I think, I think especially with a pastured pig operation, there's always room for improvement. There's always things to yeah. learn. And I love the fact that a mix of the new and the old. So you're able to talk mm-hmm. to some of these uh, older farmers that can give you great advice, but then you can also, with technology, find out uh, some of the new practices and what other people are doing across the country. It's great. Oh, I agree. Oh, one thing that you did mention uh, prior to us being on the call was, and I think it was the other day when we spoke about fencing and doing elect. If we use electric at all, mm-hmm. um, we do actually. So our the seven acres that we have is um, permanent fencing. We put in. A wood post with permanent fencing around mostly because we have a lot of black bears here a lot of bears um and so the perimeter is electric on top so that uh and we have heard bears get electrocuted and then the um inside each of the paddock we run a two wire system hmm. um so that and it's a cattle a cattle electric fencing i think it um i think it runs 8.2 to 9 kv um that's pretty hard that's what yeah yeah, it is yeah it makes your arm go numb but we do use that uh and i mean it's it's worked great for us and then the portable fencing is all electric as well Hmm. yeah so using like the uh uh the poultry netting but it's actually the the the, uh hog netting the the fiberglass with the poles built into it yep yes yeah and we actually have it specific for the the pigs we're actually looking to get into navajo churro sheep as well and doing a lamb program so we just bought some lamb fencing too well that's great that sounds like a very eclectic um variety of of animals on the farm and so in that situation do you do you let any of those um uh, have cross access or will you when you have uh, your sheep in will the sheep be on pig pasture and pigs be on sheep pasture well, I'm just learning about that, but from what I've learned is that they do work well together, um, and the they eat the same amount of uh, same kind of pasture. So uh, we'll see when it happens, but I'm hoping that it works out. <laughs> but we do have enough area so that we can segregate them and not put them together. Yeah, that'd, that'd be interesting. I'll have to follow up with you on that as you get uh, get yeah. some of that experience under your belt, because that is yeah. that's another. Uh, deep topic of discussion where uh, uh, people aren't aren't uh, monocropping or uh, mono-raising specific animals. And, and mm-hmm. when they have that diversification of stock, are they are they mixing? I know some do, and then some just say it's an absolute nightmare to do that. But, yeah. Yes, I've, I've heard it too, but we will, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap up with a question I like to ask everybody is, uh, sure. um, Kate, what is the best experience or your favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? That's a hard question. So there's so many. Um, I think one thing is I love to see our boys out there and they help with us. Um, and they get to see 
you know, everything from a farm from birth to death, they see the whole process and they understand. Uh, and they understand that, you know, that pork chop that you are eating, you raised that. And it's something, it gives them some pride. Um, but I also love to see the customers. And we have a lot of repeat customers who come back and say, you know, you know, we had a ham for Easter. It was amazing. It, we, we know that your family really raised it with love and raised it um, with good practices. And, and knowing that the pigs that we raise do have a good life and that they're not just stuck in a building uh, being raised that way. And that really gives us some joy. That's great. Yeah, it's great uh, satisfaction in, in the product that you that you put so much work into and hearing that feedback from uh, from customers and from friends saying, hey, this this is the best. I love it when I hear this is the best bacon I've ever had. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. It goes a long <laughs> and way. And the bacon goes so fast. It yes, <laughs> it does. And it, it's it's funny. I, I, I love all my customers and some of them just, just cracked me. I had one guy ask me, he said, I want to order a whole pig from you, but I want it to just be bacon. Oh, and, yeah. and I laughed and I said, buddy, yeah. if I could raise a, an all bacon pig, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. That's right. So, I've, yep, we've had that question asked, too. <laughs> yep. Great. Well, Kate, I really appreciate your time. Um, I appreciate you, you know, sequestering yourself from your son. He's, he's, yeah. he's probably lost without you and, and begging for you to come <laughs> home. Uh, so I'm going to let you go. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us this evening. Oh, thank you so much, Troy. It was a lot of fun. All right. Take care. So again, a yeah, really good interview. Really appreciate Kate uh, and what she's got going on up there at Birch Rise. Um, I'll post links to her uh, contact information uh, below in the show notes there, uh, so you can check those out and uh, and be sure to reach out to her, like her page on Facebook, check out her website, do those type of things. Again, if you have anyone that you would like to be uh, that you would like to suggest as a topic or a, an interviewer interviewee for our podcast. Uh, use our form on our website, redtoolhouse.com, to submit that. Or if you yourself would like to be interviewed, again, use that same form. Um, if you have any other questions, uh, feel free to use our contact form at the website, um, and, and we can uh, hopefully answer any questions that you have. All right. Take care, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com